Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using today's hashtags, nonprofitutopia, TXFME, and Forensic Nurses Changing the World. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit utopia, preferably on this episode page. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions right now. In order to use the chat room, you don't really have to open a listener account like you did in the past. You can literally just start typing, and you'll find the um, chat box right on the episode page, right beneath the description. You can also email me questions at Valerie F. Leonard at nonprofitutopia.com. For obvious reasons, I won't be able to respond to you while we're recording, but I will respond as soon as I can after the podcast. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. And you will see that number on the episode page. And we encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. We've included a link to our mailing list in the comment section on this episode page. Forensic nursing is the intersection of medicine, law enforcement, policy, and advocacy. Forensic nurses work with victims of sexual assault, human trafficking, and other violent crimes to document their industry, I'm sorry, their injuries, and provide evidence and expert testimony in court cases. They may also provide expert testimony and advocate for victims' rights and the creation of more just laws and public policies. We'll talk about the work of TXNE and the roles forensic nurses and nonprofits can play in combating violence. Today's guests are Kara Breeden and Julie Sinstacken. Kara Breeden DNP. She also has a number of other certifications, including MS, RN, SANE A, SANE P, AFN, BC. And, you know, if you have any questions about those, I'm sure she can answer them. I am not a clinical professional, but if you are so moved, you can ask her any questions about those certifications on air. And, Kara completed her doctorate of nursing practice at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh in August 2016. She holds a Master of Science in Patient Safety Leadership from the University of Illinois in Chicago, and her bachelor's degree is from Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Her nursing career spans over 15 years with experience in critical care, emergency services, women's health, and most currently, forensic nursing and academia. Kara started working at Harris Health as a forensic nurse examiner in 2011, and she immersed herself within the field. In 2015, she became the program manager of forensic nursing services and was responsible for the day-to-day management of the department. After achieving her doctorate, Kara decided to pursue her goal of teaching and is currently an assistant professor at Houston Baptist University. While working with community partners, 
She recognized the gap in forensic nursing services, and in response, Kara formulated initially the Harris County Forensic Nursing Services, um, which is now, no, well, now Texas Forensic, I'm sorry, Forensic Nurses, a TXFNE. This is a nonprofit community-based forensic nursing program where she currently serves as the executive director. Kara serves as a Texas Association Against Sexual Assault board member and has served on the board of the International Association of Forensic Nurses, or IAFN for short. She has served as the board liaison of the Strangulation Task Force, Title IX Task Force, and the Suspect Exam Task Force. She serves on the Policy Committee for the Texas Council on Family Violence and is currently the IAFN Texas Chapter's President. Julie Sinsbacken, she has an MS, PSL, BSN, RN, CP, HQ, HACP, and she is the Chief Operating Officer for TXFNE. She has been a registered nurse for 45 years. She has a master's degree in patient safety leadership, a bachelor's degree in nursing, and is certified in quality management and accreditation and regulatory affairs. She is a past adjunct professor at the Southern New Hampshire University where she taught quality improvement for healthcare entities. Julie has also served as the risk manager for the state of Kansas Health Facilities Division of the Department of Health. Julie is currently a student at the UIC Nonprofit Management Program in which she will get her certification if she hasn't gotten it already. She will be getting it soon this year. And congratulations, Julie. And I I just want to say that Julie was one of my star pupils in that program. Hug, hug out there, Julie. And Julie also, (laughs) yeah, Julie won the Flame Award at Memorial Hermann Health System in 2018 for excellence in leadership management. So as you can see, our guests are highly, highly qualified. We are hoping that this conversation will share lessons learned, um, new ways of looking at um, treating domestic violence and other forms of violence not only as a medical issue, not only as law enforcement, but also public health and, you know, community health. And, you know, as you can hear from the qualifications and experience, these guests are very well-versed and qualified to do that. So I want to thank you both, Kara and Julie, for being with us today. And before we get started, can you tell us what TXFNE does and a little bit more information about how and why you started the organization? And Kara, we'll start with you. Um, first, thanks for having us. I'm really excited about sharing this um, with um, whomever listens. It's been an exciting uh, journey. So um, TXFNE stands for Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners. And we um, were established, well, I guess officially, um, our 503 uh, status was established last May. And we are essentially a community-based forensic nursing program. Um, Most programs that um, provide forensic nursing services, many times they are um, in conjunction with the hospital system or there's some that are also in conjunction with like the women's shelter. Um, but mm-hmm. we kind of took that idea and um, thought, well, why don't we why don't we be a standalone forensic nursing nonprofit, and that way we can really be at the center of um, all of our community partners and work work well with each partner instead of having to uh, just be in one place. So, really, the mm-hmm. goal was to be able to meet patients where they're at in whatever capacity that capacity that looks like. So, um, Harris County, obviously, where the third or fourth most populous city in, or county in the United States, depending on which statistics we're looking at. And mm-hmm. um, I guess late 2017, I began working with the chief of family violence at the Harris County District Attorney's Office. 
And the goal really at the time was um, we had a focus on strangulation. Um, strangulation is actually uh, a precursor to uh, homicide. Um, and in a domestic violence relationship, it's noted that, um, you know, after a woman is strangled in that relationship, she's seven to eight times more likely to be killed in that relationship. Oh, and unfortunately, Harris, yes, yes. So unfortunately, Harris County has had the number one um, uh, domestic violence homicide rate since 2014. And she really was focused on how do we get that number to decrease? And um, long story short, she understand pretty quickly the importance of the medical forensic exam for victims of domestic violence. And she was really eager on making sure that these these patients that are, um, you know, in, have the intersection of domestic violence that they have a medical forensic exam, just because of the improvement of ed evidence and the connection into services that um, our patients are are connected with. And mm -hmm. so that's really how we started is um, as a goal to help decrease the number of domestic violence homicides by helping the DA's office, you know, have good exams, providing better patient care for these victims that really weren't being seen. Um, at the time when we rolled out, there was only two hospitals in the entire city here. Um, there's 287 hospitals in the Harris County area or Houston area. And there was only two that would see a victim of domestic violence um, specifically. Um, wow. You know, wow. patient, patient walks in, has been um, a victim of domestic violence. There was only two hospitals that would do a medical forensic exam on that type of patient. And so it was really just to close a gap in services for patients. That's really why we started. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. And Julie, did you have anything to add? Well, we just uh, want, I wanted to add that we uh, focus on not only domestic violence um, pay, uh, victims, but we see uh, sexual assault victims, strangulation, child and elder abuse, and victims of human trafficking all. Okay, okay that's great. Um, and, and not great that um, this is happening, but it's great that right. two ladies of your caliber <clears throat> are addressing the issue. You know, you, you see a need in the community and you're, you know, you're addressing it and not only are you addressing it, but you're enlisting others to, to help it. And I think that's wonderful. Thanks. Okay, so Julie, you are the Chief Operating Officer and that means different things to different people depending on the organization, depending on the subsector of the nonprofit sector that you're working in. So what does that entail for you? Well, um, really it's, it's broken into two things. During our startup time, which was very recently, um, you know, we, I kind of headed up writing policy and procedure, both clinical, financial, legal uh, policies and procedures. Uh, needed to set up all of the HR policies, the forms we use, and the practices around HR, uh, setting up staff development and clinical ladders so that we are sure that our uh, competency is assured and that we had plans for precepting uh, nurses who were in training. Um, in the beginning, as far as payroll went, we made the decision to do a 1099 contract at the beginning just mm -hmm. because it was easy and then we transitioned that and it's now outsourced payroll. Uh, one of mm -hmm. the biggest things I had to uh, uh, conquer is learning QuickBooks accounting um, mm -hmm. and uh, so that, that was also part of what I did. And then together Kara and I did uh, the initial budgets, the initial grant applications and the setting up of uh, our plans for it, um, technology as far as computers and such. Ongoing, I'm kind of focusing on setting up job evaluation processes, uh, recruitment because we're growing fast. We're uh, setting up right now PTO and health insurance because some of our people that have worked on call are moving to full time. Uh, and then just mm -hmm. ongoing grants, foundation applications and fundraising. It's important mm -hmm. that I keep my eye on the sustainability of our staff Forensic nurses uh, have a very high turnover rate. In fact, one in five leave their job in the first year, and one in three leave on oh. that second year. 
So there's only a 0.08% retention rate for this group. Um, so we're really working hard to set up a culture where people uh, take care of themselves and care for each other. We're trying to arrange their pay so that they can make a livelihood uh, and not be dependent on exams. A lot of, lot of programs will pay you for the exam, but pay you nothing while you're waiting for an exam, and it's uh, hard to ma make a living that way. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of vicarious trauma that these nurses uh, experience, and so keeping our eye mm. on that and making sure that we have a culture where they feel taken care of and, uh, you know, feel, uh, feel like they can work through uh, working in this kind of environment. You, you know, as I listen to you, Julie, talk about this, I, I think that you have done what many organizations don't do. That's you and, and Kara. You took the time from the beginning to create systems. You know, I you know, I observe that a number of organizations when they start, they think, Okay, when I grow to a certain point, then I'll get the more comprehensive systems. But it sounds to me as you were describing your process, you know, your your recent startup from what I understand, but it sounds to me like you were very diligent in putting systems in as if you were a multi million dollar institution mm -hmm. and I think as as a result, I, I think you're <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> yeah, I I believe. Well, in, I, I believe in my it's quality back, yeah, in my quality background, I've known that if you don't set up systems uh, ahead of time, then you spend a lot more time fixing fixing the systems that should have been put in place, and so uh, and so that I guess that helped a little. When I when yeah. I. Mm -hmm. When, when I was trying to find the right person to fill that role, I, that's one of the things with Julie that really um, made her the ideal person because she has qualities that I, I'm the more creative, like let's go do things, and she's like the more slow it down. We need to, you know, create protocols and policies around all of this. And so we really even each other out well that way. And so um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very thankful that she does have that mind, mindset because, um, you mm -hmm. know, in, in this world of forensic nursing, it's really important that um, all of our evidence hold up, all of the things we do, um, you know, it's very, can really be looked at with a microscope if we're not careful. So she's really done mm -hmm. a lot of the work to make sure um, that it has been a, a pretty a pretty nice seamless startup just because we do have a good foundation already. Yeah, that's awesome, and I, I believe that that's going to position you for long term growth and sustainability. You know, versus you know, like Julie was saying, trying to fix it as you go. So, so hats off to you, ladies. And, and these are Thank lessons you. that can be translated <laughs> regardless of, you know, where you work. You know, you shouldn't necessarily have to be in the medical field, you know, in order to put these systems in place. That, that's universal. Right. Okay, so Kara, TXFNE's mission is to provide comprehensive medical forensic exams with Superior evidence collection by coordinating community collaboration and a victim-centered response for those affected by physical and or sexual violence. And you also close the gap between the medical and legal management. So what are some of the ways that you work with communities to bring about justice for victims and, and assault and other violent crimes? Um, I think I think the major way that we're um, that we're doing that is really working closely with our partners. We've really tried to uh, mm -hmm. develop good relationships with law enforcement, um, our advocacy agencies, or our close partners. We actually have clinic space in our uh, um, partner um, women's centers locate women's center locations. Excuse me. Um, you know, we've mm -hmm. been working very closely with the DA's office just to make sure we're communicating and we have good processes for releasing records when they're subpoenaed. And so really, I think getting into the community and becoming a part of 
um, all of the community needs and understanding, really understanding what those needs are. I think as providers, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of provider you are and what kind of business you're in, I think sometimes you can make an assumption of what a patient's needs are or a customer's needs are. And then mm-hmm. after you get in and start doing the work, you realize it looks a lot different than what you thought it did. And I think being able to mm-hmm. be um, open-minded with whatever your you thought your initial solutions were going to look like and be able to restructure those, I think that's really important. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. for example... Um, we're a part of a program that the DA's office rolled out, and it's called the Domestic Abuse Response Team. And it's really a neat program. They actually have a specially trained law enforcement officer and an advocate that show up on scene on Friday and Saturday nights to these domestic violence calls. And they, pro- mm-hmm. they start that advocacy piece right from the very uh, moment that they make contact with that patient. Well, initially, we thought that those patients would then be transferred to um, our nearest facility or our nearest contracted facility to have a medical forensic exam. And what they found pretty quickly is that these patients don't want to leave their house. They have just been traumatized. Mm. They've they've been through, um, you know, this incident. They don't want to leave. They don't want to leave because of their kids or the number of things that they have going on. The last thing they want to do is leave their house. And so, Uh, We kind of all came together and we said, well, why don't we just start writing uh, with law enforcement and provide medical forensic exams in the patient's home, just like home health And so that's what we're doing. We started that, yeah, we started mid-March. And so on Friday and Saturday night, I have two nurses that go out uh, with, um, it's actually one of the lieutenants. They drive separately. They're not with the initial, they make sure the scene is safe. And then um, if the patient wants a medical forensic exam, um, then, you know, my nurses go in and just like a home health exam would be, they go in and do an an assessment and, um, you know, do a whole medical forensic exam, which is really um, exciting because these are patients that would not have gone to the ER. They would have not gotten any services. And the, um, you know, the feeling of having arms wrapped around them, really caring about them to get to the next step of healing and recovery mm-hmm. is really an important piece. And so um, meeting patients where they're at is always, is really always our mm-hmm. focus. Okay. This is awesome stuff. Um, I, I just want to pause here and I listen to the way you ladies respond to problems. You are very entrepreneurial in your approach. You know, it sounds to me just during this, few minutes we've been talking is that you've changed your model a number of times, not because it was so horrible, but you are definitely patient-driven and you're making sure that you can be responsive to their needs while at the same time being responsive to the needs of law enforcement and, and the people that fund you. And not everybody can be as nimble, especially not in nonprofits. We tend to not be as as responsive. So, I, again, my, my hat's off to you both. Thank you. When I started this um, journey, I had a really great mentor. Her name is um, Barbie Brashear. I'll just have to say it out loud because she's amazing. But she um, – lots of, lots of moments of being very discouraged, and she just said, Kara, all of it doesn't matter. Just stay focused on your patient, and it will always you, you'll mm. always get the right answer. And I was, and I always, every time something frustrating frustrating happens or there's a curveball thrown, I always go back to those words that she gave to me that day because it really it really holds true. And if you just keep your eye on on your patient or whatever your overall goal is, then it really tends to work out for the best anyway. Well, and we we've known in as an industry that the number of women that actually report and follow through uh, is really low. And we've just accepted that mm-hmm. instead of changing the model. And until we change the model, the victims are not going to get the help they need. And we're not going to get the perpetrators off the street. Mm-hmm. Great points. Great points. I hope folks are taking notes. I know yeah. I am. <laughs> Again, these lessons are readily transferable. You know, Regardless of what business you're in, for-profit or non-profit, we need to be responsive to the changes in our environment and solve problems, you know, as they arise. Right. Okay. Um, oh, it sounds like you sounds like someone was getting ready to add a point. 
Um, no. Okay. No. So I, okay. Okay. I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Kara Breeden, DMP. She's the founder and CEO of Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners, or TXFNE for short. And we're also speaking with Julie Sinsback, and she is MSPL, and she's also with TXFNE as the Chief Operating Officer. We'll take questions from our listening audience and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark. In fact, if you're at a point where you have questions and you have access to the chat room, you can start posting now. And we'll be taking questions from our listening audience um, very soon, in about five minutes. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347 884 8121. And we've noticed that our international audience is growing, and we would like to take our podcast guests you know, to another level. We want to make sure that they reflect the views from around the world as our audience comes from about 90 different countries. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. Okay, so Julie, as the chief operating officer, you're very well aware of the importance of the role that operations plays in the delivery of the services. So what is your role in ensuring that TXFNE meets its mission through providing excellent programs and services? Well, we've kind of built a culture of quality-mindedness in in that what I mean is that everyone participates in quality and being focused on how we can improve what we do. Uh, Every Monday we have a roundtable discussion with the staff. We talk about processes, if there are process improvements that need to happen. If it's a new process we're setting up for maybe a new partner we're going to begin working at, we try to chop it down to see where it's going to fail and then put in fail-safe processes to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen out in the field. Uh, We have to measure success for our grants, and so I have our advocate that's helping me do that so that we can always keep track of all those numbers and make sure that we're on point to get to where we need mm-hmm. to be uh, by the different uh, markers. Okay, that is great. And again, I noticed that you're you're incorporating this discipline from day one. You didn't wait until you became a self-actualized organization to say, oh, now it's time to start evaluating. <laughs> yeah, no, because quality is not about any any person. It's really about the, the, the you know, if you have a cult, culture where everyone is committed to the quality being top-notch all the time, um, then, you know, you've got it made. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, Kara, I see that you've gone through the process of creating a board of directors as well as an advisory board. Um, First of all, can you tell our listening audience what the difference in the roles of the two bodies are and why you felt the need to create two layers of governance or decision-making? Just because of the specialty area, um, I'll I'll be honest, but this has been one of probably one of my the things that I've had to really learn the most. Um, But because Mm -hmm. of this specialty area that we're in and because there are so many um, layers to it, law enforcement, there's best practice standards, there's just a lot of things that we have to consider uh, within the organization. So it was just important to me that we had um, all of the leaders in in our community and some even just in the field in general, uh, that we had them kind Mm -hmm. of representative uh, within our board and then our advisory council. Um, so that's kind of why I did it just because there's some, just from a day-to-day management perspective, not everybody needs to be a part of that. However, um, if I have an issue related to, um, you know, a specific pediatric um, incident that might be unusual, I have somebody on my advisory council that I can seek guidance from for that particular issue. So for me, that's why I did it that way. 
uh, just so I had mm-hmm. kind of a group of experts that I could lean on for uh, guidance and support when I needed them. The way I like to think of it is that the board guides our business practices and the advisory council guides our clinical practices. And uh, we really don't want business people telling us uh, what the best practice is for our clinical side. And we really don't want our clinical side to try to uh, help us be successful (laughs) as a business. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I tell you, I, I wish you, I wish you guys were setting global medical policy. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> okay, I digress. The views expressed and the questions asked are purely my own. These, this is not Julian Carroll. <laughs> let's. Let's be clear. Sometimes I have a tendency to to say what I think, and that's not always safe. So I'll I'll keep you guys out of harm's way. There you go. So, oh, my goodness. So, Julie, can you give us a day in the life of a typical forensic nurse, if there is such a thing, you know, the ones, you know, that are working for TXF&E? Sure. Uh, well, right now we have uh, one full-time employee who's our program manager. We have two more nurses that are starting full-time at the beginning of the next pay period. We have, I think, 17 nurses total. Most of them uh, spend their working time on call, which means that uh, we have a one number that any law enforcement or any referral source can call, and they immediately are hooked up with the forensic nurse on call, and she makes uh, she or he makes an appointment at the pl- a place that's convenient and close, uh, and uh, then they go in and see the patient at that time. Each of our nurses are passionate about different aspects of forensics, and so we've tried to take advantage of that, and they work on special projects when they're on call. For instance, a couple of them right now are writing out a hospital orientation. We're getting ready to go see patients at a hospital ER where they've contracted with us to do that kind of exam for them. So those nurses are working Mm -hmm. on the orientation that we'll present at that hospital. We have another employee who is interested in university and the kinds of assaults that happen on university. And we have an MOU with one of the major universities here in, in Houston. And so she's working to be the liaison to the university. So they're each working on different things. Uh, together, we mm-hmm. all work on precepting our newer nurses to get them ready to be independent in, during their exam, examinations. And then all of them are uh, going with us to different um, appointments with community partners as we build more partnerships and build more um, um, memorandums of understanding to work with people throughout the – and I think it's important that they get to see the community partners and that the community, community partners get to meet the forensic nurses, uh, it really mm-hmm. helps in cementing that relationship. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So, Kara, did you have anything to add for, for that, the day in the life? Um, a day in the life. Um, usually, I have, usually it includes fatigue. No. <laughs> So um, we have people here in and out all the time, um, which is exciting. Um, You know, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed most seeing this organization grow is, um, you know, we have kind of a a table that we all kind of congregate around and do charting and just to see them interacting and having, uh, building their own relationships with each other. Um, as well as um, mm-hmm. really being a part of the organization has been really important to me as uh, leadership is that they, I don't really want to hire employees. I want people here that are uh, invested, that want to help us grow this into something really great and amazing. And I think the staff that we have, they all are 100%. Um, they're in it for that reason. And so being able to sit back and watch these particular uh, nurses has been really quite an honor. Okay, great, great. 
All right. I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Kara Breeden, DMP, founder and CEO of Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners, or TXFNE, and Julie Sinsdaken, MSPSL. She is the Chief Operating Officer for TXFNE, and we'll be taking questions right now if you have them. Our number is 347-884-8121. If you prefer, you can also post in the chat room if there are any questions, concerns, or comments. And, you know, if you don't do anything but tell these ladies how wonderful they're doing, um, that would be appreciated. So before we get back into our interview, I just want to tell you a little bit about the Nonprofit Utopia community. We are the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We have created a safe environment in which our members can innovate, speak candidly about the issues and concerns they face on a daily basis, and share ideas and resources. For further information, you can go to nonprofitutopia.com. That's our website, and our membership site is nonprofit, I'm sorry, nonprofitutopia.mn.com. Co. Our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which experienced nonprofit professionals can share expertise with the next generation of ethical leaders. The overarching goal of the community is to give our members the tools they need to develop a strong organization that will make a lasting impact. Our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 2013. And this podcast is one of the ways that we are achieving our vision and goals. So, Kara, can you share an overview of some of the courses that you provide? Um, so I've been doing forensic nursing education, ooh, I guess, since late 2016, early 2017. And I started mm-hmm. with just, I wrote and um, had the scene, uh, the SANE A and the SANE P courses, um, the CNE attached to them. So just the nursing credit mm-hmm. that's required. Um, so I kind of started mm-hmm. with those basic courses and um, have expanded since then. So other courses we often provide are courses on expert witness testimony. Um, I do some specialized things here and there with um, at conferences, you know, maybe on uh, uh, issues of pregnancy related to domestic violence and interpersonal violence. Um, but I think the most exciting training that we do is a workshop. And we actually have a hands-on workshop where Um, It's a two-day training, and the first half of the first day is just, uh, you know, didactic education to where we kind of get everybody on the same page because, you know, a lot of times Mm -hmm. people have gotten their education from various places. And then we actually uh, have the students, the learners go, they touch patients. We have uh, live models that, um, you know, pretend like they have been assaulted in various ways. And our, our mm-hmm. learners go from start to finish. They do exams on these uh, uh, live models that we have. And to see the classroom uh, come together in a real-life scenario and have the kind of the light bulb go off for these students um, really is um, a big, you know, eye-opener because you can, you can kind of see them mm-hmm. connect the dots, like, right in front of your face. So that's probably my favorite training that we do. Um, but... Those are, the, those are the courses that we currently offer. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm really interested in your approach for developing the courses. So, so how do you determine what content to deliver? Well, it really will just depend on what that focus is. So, like, for example, we did, um, when we were invited, again, we're going to, we usually let the need drive our educational development. And mm-hmm. uh, when we were invited to be a partner of this DART program, um, one of my nurses, she's actually my program manager, she said, why don't we just um, train some people on domestic violence, um, forensic nursing, and then we can move them into the sexual assault piece, um, you know, with with that course. That way we can get them kind of practicing and do a step-by-step approach because there's a lot more elements to the sexual assault piece than there is to the domestic violence piece. 
And mm-hmm. so we, we put together an eight-hour training, and we had actually whew, 16 or 17 people show up for that training. And mm-hmm. uh, we did eight hours of education on domestic violence, how we would do an exam, uh, what that looks like, um, things to consider. And so we really, we really tried to let the needs of the community um, guide a lot of our uh, educational offerings, um, as well as, you know, outside needs from really nationwide. I've had students come from Alaska. I've had students come from all over the nation mm. to take just some of the St. A and St. P courses that we that we offer. Oh my goodness! So Julie, you know we're going to look at your evaluation. So how do you know these courses are impactful, and what's the evidence? Well, of course, the easiest evidence is the course evaluations because when you give out C and E credits that nurses can use to uh, relicense. Uh, the evaluations are, are mandatory. So we obviously have the evaluations that we pay a lot of attention to. But a lot of the uh, classes that um, CARA does um, entail people having to do return demonstrations and ongoing practice with a preceptor so that we're able to see if uh, the same, you know, if we have a number of people missing a step or calling a uh, injury by the wrong name, then we know we can go back to the course content and say people are missing this and try to evaluate, you know, what's keeping Mm -hmm. them from uh, catching the point at at that time. So we can use that for looking at trends, uh, and that really helps us as well. Oh, okay, great, great. So, Kara, I noticed that you also sell T-shirts and koozies as part of your product offering, and, and this is on your website. So are these part <laughs> of what could ev- – yeah, I, I thought they were cool. So are, are these part of what <laughs> Yeah, could eventually become a social enterprise? Yes. I need a whole specialist in that. I, I really do see, I see where you're going with that. Um, I made those t-shirts mm-hmm. um, when I first started doing the uh, forensic nursing education just to have. A friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, one of my mentors, she they always had t-shirts. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make a t-shirt too. And so, um, so yes, I've sold quite a few t-shirts. Um, and I do think I was actually just telling a group, a couple of my staff the other day that we needed to create a couple new T-shirts to get on the website. So I do think with a little um, social presence help, um, that would be something mm-hmm. that would be very beneficial as another revenue stream at some point. Um, so it's certainly mm-hmm. on the table for discussion. If there's anyone out there listening with those that skill set, I would certainly love some ad- help and advice. <laughs> Oh wow, wow! You know, <laughs> there there's a group in Chicago, the Social Enterprise Alliance, and and I believe they are a Chicago chapter of a national organization, um, SEA Social Enterprise Alliance. There is a Chicago chapter, and I know there are some chapters on the East Coast. If you guys don't have a chapter in Houston, you know, I'd encourage you to you know, call the folks here in Chicago. Mark Lane is an attorney. He heads up the Chicago chapter. He's very well-versed in wealth creation and helping nonprofits as well as for-profit organizations set up, you know, these um, L3Cs. And I don't know all the ins and outs, but they're hybrids of, Nonprofits and for profits, and um, there's they're not expected to make a whole heck of a lot of money. So while they are taxable, they have favorable tax treatment. And Mark could probably share some of the ins and outs. And offline, I could make an introduction if you are interested. I, I can do that. That'd be for great. You. Okay, yeah, that would awesome. be wonderful. Mark. Thank you. Mhm. So I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Kara Breed and BNP. She is the founder and CEO of Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners, or TXFNE, and Julie Sinstacken, MSPSL. She is the Chief Operating Officer. 
We'll take questions from our listening audience now if you have them. If you are near the chat room, um, you can go ahead and post your questions. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. Okay, so Julie, while we're waiting for calls, um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Well, I think one thing that we talk about a lot is uh, that we wish we would have documented our journey in the beginning of better than we did. We were busy doing, and um, a lot of people have commented, uh, you know, you need to write an article, journal article about uh, what you've done, or we have had inquiries. We need something like this uh, in our community. How would you go about doing it? So, uh, you know, if we... You know, it's like when you buy a house and you fix fix it up, you always forget to take the before pictures. So uh, that's one thing that we talk about a lot. Uh, we have to remind ourselves often to stay focused on our plan. Um, it's easy to want to be everything that anybody needs or wants for the city. And uh, although we want to uh, get to a place where we can be, that involved, uh, you know, we're, uh, we just really got office space in February. We're still a very new nonprofit. And so we really have to, you know, kind of be flexible with our plan, like we talked about earlier, but not really stray from it. Um, and mm -hmm. then um, I think we've gotten really lucky with the staff we've gotten, you know, a lot of things have fallen in our laps and a lot of things have gone really easy for us. And we, we think that's because we're doing what we're meant to be doing. So that, that, part, um, that part has really helped us along. Once in a while, we've been surprised by people, either people saying they want to come on board with us and then find that their schedule's just too busy and they've not been able to follow through or, um, you know, just different things that haven't turned out the way we expected. Uh, so you have to, you know, always be thinking about that resilience, you know, and, and Karen and I do a mm -hmm. lot to help each mm -hmm. other uh, in that regard. If there's a disappointment, we always have to look to what's going well and what, what the future holds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And, and Kara, the same question for you. What have you learned and is there anything you would have done differently? Um. I think the biggest, one of the biggest things I've learned is to, to be flexible with your vision. I think sometimes when you have this idea that you create in your mind of how something's going to look, um, when it starts to stray from that and things don't turn out that way, I think it's, it can be really debilitating for um, an entrepreneurial spirit, um, somebody that's trying to, mm -hmm. you know, do the work and create something. Um, you can get quite frustrated and feel like you're just banging your head against the wall. But I, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was to not, not give up and not necessarily take no for an answer, just to go back to the drawing board and reevaluate, reassess, and maybe restructure what you mm -hmm. originally thought would look one way um, and revamp it and see if you can make it look another way that will look more appealing to partners. I, th I think the mm -hmm. other big lesson for me is to have that group of core cheerleaders that are in your court no matter what. I know I have mm -hmm. probably four or five that are my trusted um, group that I can go and cry to and uh, be happy with. And, you know, all of, the, all of the emotions that go on when you create a nonprofit or a new business, um, you have to have that, mm -hmm. that group that can – that can balance you out. Um, so I, I think that's one of my biggest lessons is to know how important those people are in your life. Um, but it's been a journey full of lessons. So again, I wish we would have documented um, in better detail because we could probably write a whole book on all the lessons we've learned from this. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. And this question is for both of you. What would you recommend for those people in our listening audience who want to quote unquote try this at home? Um, I think the biggest thing I would tell them is to get a few allies and a people are in your corner 
and that see the vision and importance of the work you want to do and just start doing the work. Um, you don't always have to have a plan that's, uh, you know, exactly how it's going to be. You don't have to have all of the answers. Um, you know, some of it you can have a good pilot idea that where you know you're going to have to restructure things, but just start working. Um, I think a lot of times mm -hmm. people get frozen or stuck because they think they need to have all the answers right from the beginning, and, and that's mm -hmm. never going to be the case. You're going to learn as you go. It's going to, it's going to change and evolve. And um, so I think the, the biggest thing I would tell somebody that's thinking about doing something, whatever it is, is to just do it. Just get started. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, thinking about it doesn't count. So go do, go do the work, you know. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> Okay, Julie? Um, I think one thing that we talked about in the operations class uh, at the nonprofit certificate program at UIC is the relationship between the CEO and COO and how important that is. And um, mm -hmm. I, I just think if I was going to give advice to people, that's to me one of the most important things because you can either – make each other better or you can make it not work uh, and you've mm -hmm. got to be it's got to be a relationship that's uh, built on trust and uh, and hopefully you won't have the same strengths that you can balance each other out well uh, to me that that probably has in my mind made as much difference as anything I agree with that 100% great great so Kara does TXF&E get involved in advocating for policy changes? And if so, um, how and what are some of those changes? Yeah, actually, um, I personally have been involved in policy um, activities for quite some time. Um, I was a board member um, of the IASN, which is our International Association of Forensic Nurses. I've been on the board there previously and they do a big leadership and lobby day and they go to dc and we talk to all of our um you know representatives and congressmen and women and so i've been involved in that for quite some time but from a txfne standpoint um we have been pretty involved this legis in texas we are do every other year legislative cycles and so we actually are currently in right close to the end of a legislative cycle here in texas and so uh, mm -hmm. We have been involved on with several bills, um, people that either just wanted our uh, support on um, some legislation. They wanted to write that we were supportive of their bill um, specifically. We've uh, supported a, a bill. Um, uh, and then I, we were involved in a, actually helping uh, write some legislation in hopes to um, have Texas provide some funding for strangulation exams because currently they, they mm -hmm. aren't a funded source of an exam so that's why there's so few people that do it so we wrote some legislation mm -hmm. um well i didn't write it the da's office here and a group of people got together and wrote it um i don't think it will pass just because it's money but um it was kind of uh, fun to be involved in that process um but yeah so we definitely get involved in policy as as much as we as much as we can we're lucky that you know what we do is very bipartisan, so we can we can stay in the middle and not have to get involved with either party. And just um, most mm -hmm. people um, on both sides of the aisle are supportive of the work we do, so it makes makes our position a little easier to to be involved in that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So, Julie, when I look at the work in general, you know, dealing with victims of domestic violence and other violence. Do you find that it's a challenging or easy sell in terms of fundraising? Well, it, both. Um, it's, it's an easy sell for people to be interested. Um, as soon as we talk about what we're doing, um, then, um, you know, people are very excited and very supportive, but that hasn't really translated to money. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's great that they're excited because we're excited about what we do. Uh, the other thing that's really challenging is that the grants that um, are available to a, a, a nonprofit like us 
exclude a lot of what we do. Uh, they exclude anything related oh, wow. to medical service. And so the oh, kinds no. of advocacy we do and uh, the domestic violence stuff we do uh, tends to be funded, but the uh, uh, sexual assault exams uh, and the stuff with more of a medical component uh, are excluded. And so uh, our grants are really restrictive and it leaves us in a position of having a lot of expenses. Uh, for instance, with a sexual assault exam, it's the right thing to do to, to treat for uh, sexually transmitted infection prophylaxis, but no one pays for that. So we have to absorb that cost or else find a foundation that will help us with some of our general operating expenses to offset it. Um, that, that to me is unfortunate. Now, what about the state and, say, Medicaid programs? You know, although not every victim would be low income, but I'm just wondering if, if there are any insurance or public health insurance payors that might reimburse you for some of those costs? Well, I think just because of the, the setting that we have set up so far, we we just aren't um, set up to take insurance at this point. I mean, I don't know if that's mm -hmm. something we'll ever do in the future. We do have a nurse practitioner on staff. Um, so at some point that might be something that, you know, makes sense for us to do. Um, mm -hmm. But at this point we haven't, we haven't really gone down the road of any kind of, you know, insurance reimbursement, um, you know, per se at, quite yet. So. Well, and it's, insurance is a double-edged sword in this business because if you think about it, um, if a person uses their insurance to um, to get one of these exams, then often the insurance bill is going to go to the perpetrator, and they're going to know that they sought outside help. I'm a wow. And like the actual exam for yeah, the actual exam for domestic violence, for uh, example, isn't really a, an, an item that's covered under insurance in and of itself. It's not mm -hmm. a now if you if you are in a uh, if you have a some type of incident and you have a broken bone and you go to the hospital, then yes, the X-ray that you might get on your arm that's something that would be covered under your insurance plan. Um, but mm -hmm. the exam for the medical forensic exam. Specifically, there's no reimbursement for that. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of a weird place because the medical world doesn't really want to treat it like a medical exam, but the social world mm -hmm. doesn't really want to get involved in the medical. So it's kind of kind of a, a back and forth dance on who should really be picking up this part of the bill. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it makes it makes that part kind of difficult. It, it sounds to me like you guys have another assignment in impacting policy. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I know it's going to be a long haul, but I think it will be, you know, worth it to close that loophole, you know. Yeah. I think yeah, I think, I think over mm. time, you know, I think forensic nursing is a newer specialty, and I think over time I do think that it will, that will begin to change. Um, I think mm -hmm. it just, it'll just take some more time. Okay, great. So I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, and we have come to the end of our show. I want to thank Kara Breeden, DMP, founder and CEO of Texas Forensic Nurse Examiners, or TXFNE for short, and Julie Sinstack and MSPSL, Chief Operating Officer, for being our guest today. And Kara, Kara, I'm sorry, would you care to share any parting thoughts and tell us, you know, how we can get in touch with you after the podcast? Um, I think just I really appreciate the time and opportunity to be able to share our journey. Um, and if anybody has any questions or, you know, just wants to run things by, by me, maybe if you're working on a similar project in your area, you can certainly reach out to me. Um, my email address is Kara, my first name, K-H-A-R-A, at txfne.com. Um, and I'd, I'd love to be able to collaborate with anybody that might have questions in regards to this specific area. But, um, yeah, I just really appreciate your time and letting us share our journey of our nonprofit development. 
Well, thank you so much. You definitely have educated me. And Julie, are there any parting thoughts that you might have? No, I just thank you for being interested in what we're doing. And uh, it's been really fun to talk about it. I, you know, I'm, I'm finding ourselves more interesting than I thought as I listen. So thank you very much. <laughs> Just wait until you hear the recording, and I'm definitely going to share know, I'll this be with so folks. With it. <laughs> okay, great, great. So, again, I'd like to thank our listening audience for tuning in today. I encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review. We have included instructions in the comment section to guide you through the process. And be sure to join us next week when our guest will be Angelique Power. Angelique is the president of the Field Foundation of Illinois. She will share an overview of the work that the Field Foundation does, as well as some of her experiences impacting policy, both at the state level, and when I say state, at the state of Illinois, and local levels here in the Chicago metro area. So until then, I want to say take care, and thanks again. And thank you, ladies, again. Thank you. Alrighty, take care. Bye-bye.